Welcome back to the Legacy Through Motherhood podcast. This is Stephanie, your host. How are you guys? I hope everyone is good and healthy. Our family is finally over COVID. Um, Me and my husband both got it over Christmas, so we are finally healthy. And for those of you guys who are following along in our pregnancy journey of our fifth, if you don't know me, we have four boys right now, two, four, six, and eight years old, and we are pregnant with our fifth, and we are 13 weeks pregnant, Um, and we had our first ultrasound last week and everything was good. It was only one baby. A lot of people (laughs) were wondering if we were going to have twins because wouldn't that just be the icing on the cake? But one single baby heart rate was like 143, 144, something like that. Um, and was as like all over the place as could be. He was, he, I don't know if it's a boy or girl. We were actually waiting to find out this time just to drive everyone crazy, I think. Okay. So anyways, all is good in that world. And let's go ahead and jump into this interview that I have today. I'm very, very excited because I have interviewed Amelia and she is a mother of 10. Y'all, people think I'm crazy (laughs) with four little ones and one on the way. She is a mother of 10. She is a psychotherapist and she specializes in attachment, which I'm very, very interested in just with you know, being in the foster care world, attachment is a big, a big thing. She is also the founder of Mom Connections, and she coaches women who were not mothered well and want to feel close to their daughters. So I'm loving this because I'm a boy mom, right? And so when she reached out, I just was like, yes, I need. Now she does have sons. She does not have 10 daughters, but she does. I believe she said she had six daughters. She talks about it in the intro. Um, but she specifically, specifically talks to women who were not mothered well, whether it be that there was, you know, a mother who was not emotionally available, who was physically, mentally, emotionally abusive. And then these women find themselves as mothers themselves and kind of, not everyone, obviously, but a lot of times just feel a little lost because hopefully if you grew up in a healthy home or healthy-ish, you know, no one's perfect, you at least have some kind of guide model. You know, this is what I want to do. This is what I don't want to do. But if you were in a situation as a child where you were exposed to a lot of unhealthy situations, um, sometimes it can be hard, you know, as an adult and turning into a mother yourself to really know which end is up and what's right and, you know, whatever. You're kind of just throwing things at a wall and hoping they stick, right? And you have this deep desire to not repeat the past, but then you also have this deep um, anxiety almost of not knowing, not knowing what to do. And in this world, we've talked about a lot in this podcast, you know, we're like the most connected generation, but we're also the most lonely. And so it's hard to talk about that, right? When motherhood is always compared and there's always some kind of mom shaming when nothing you do is right. You can nurse a baby, but the second you pull a boob out, you're, you know, getting yelled at. And the second you feed your baby formula, you're getting yelled at. Like literally we just... <laughs> Everyone can throw their opinion on social media, and so it's really not a safe spot to uh, be a mom necessarily or to throw things out. And so anyways, let's jump in because she is amazing. This conversation, I'm just like hanging on her every word. She has so much wisdom, and she just really believes, and this is what I absolutely love that she said. She believes that every mother stands on a bridge between the past and the future, and only she can break the cycle in the present. So please welcome Amelia. All right, Amelia, thank you so much for coming on the Legacy Through Motherhood podcast. Thanks for the invitation. I'm excited to be here with you. Yes, I'm so excited. And we just started talking before we hit record that I'm excited because 
Um, not that you only talk to mothers or you only talk with mothers and daughters, but I have all boys. So I'm very excited that you're going to come in here and just speak on a on a topic that is not something that I would be able to speak on from my perspective. So I'm really excited. So can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of about your story, kind of 10,000 foot view, and then we'll kind of go on from there. Okay. Well, I my parents are from Costa Rica and my mother was very childlike, very young emotionally. And as a little girl, you know, there there was three of us little girls and then my brother was born years later, but my mother had a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression and a lot of anger. And so she had these wild mood swings and she would hit us. And so I was very much afraid of her and would protect my siblings. So that kind of became my role of walking on eggshells, anticipating her. And as I grew up, I had a tremendous resentment, hatred, unforgiveness towards her because of that. But I also had a fascination with mental illness and bipolar in particular. And so as I grew up, I, you know, really wanted to become a therapist. And when I studied as a therapist, I wanted to study, um, have a specialization in attachment to understand not just what happened to me, but what happened to her, because it's really a generational thing. And um, I went on to have 10 children. I have um, six daughters and four sons. So there's five girls and first, and then two boys and a girl and, and two boys. And, and just facing my own struggle and how children are mirrors of us. And the reflection back at me was that I didn't really like a lot of parts of me. And so that became my work, which became my work. So um, that's kind of how it happened. Yeah, I was actually just reading. Um, I was just reading. Oh, gosh, what is it? Whole Brain Child. Yeah. And they literally like the opening <laughs> um, couple pages talks about this and how, you know, our children typically are a mirror of our behavior and emotions and how we handle things. Obviously, that's not, you know, 100% like everything is a mirror. They, they're their own person. And so I, I started reading this book and I'm like, oh, this is so interesting. All of the left brain, right brain and how to enter, you know, all this emotional stuff. And I, and I think you're exactly right with the generational I talk about that all the time on this podcast. You know, it's like a lot of times, especially with like World War II, I'm I'm seeing through different interviews that I've had, that um, generation, you know, that went to war and that had that, all that stuff. It's like, then they came back and you didn't talk about mental illness. You didn't talk about PTSD. You didn't talk about your experiences over there. there was, you know, therapy was frowned upon, mental illness, like all of this stuff. And so how do they deal with it? There was a lot of anger, alcohol. There was a lot of addiction. And then- they raise children, <laughs> kind of, and not everybody, it's not a blanket statement, but kind of emotionally unavailable, like you said, sometimes abusive. And then their children are now trying to figure out, okay, wait, what do I do now? And in this culture, we are starting to actually talk about mental illness and stuff. So when you are working with women and moms, what is the, what is the biggest thing that you see them struggle with if they had a parent who was, you know, emotionally unavailable, abusive or whatever else? Like, what do they struggle with the most? Well, I thought I'd read three, four little quotes that women have said to me to kind of give you their heart, the inside of their heart. My question to them was, what challenges have you experienced as a result of being raised by an emotionally unavailable mother? And one was not allowing my angry frustration to project onto my child. I've had the yelling come out, 
and recently the physical. I want so badly to gently parent and not become my mom. Another one is there's always a hole in my heart and I miss the validation and support that a good mother would give. I have to watch that I don't overcompensate with my daughter. And then being emotionally unavailable for my kids. My general mood is indifference. They probably never witnessed me witnessed me being emotional other than angry. And then the last one, being confident in decisions. If you were never coached or mentored, how do you know? So in those, we're talking about um, anger and frustration and this hole in their heart and feeling lost and feeling indifference and disconnected to emotions. And again, that anger and then a lack of confidence, a lack of self-esteem, um, feeling lonely. So there's really a lot of them. The codependency is a really big piece too. But I would say overall, the sense of feeling like a lost little girl and not knowing how to grow up her parts. You know, the whole point of this podcast is generational change. And how do you, if you grew up around relational brokenness and divorce, like how do you then grow up to have a, you know, a successful marriage? If you grew up around poverty and financial devastation, how do you build wealth as an adult confidently, right? Like those are the questions that we talk about. Those are the topics that we talk about. And I feel like it's so interesting because I'm I'm not a therapist, you know, I, I like quote unquote, work with people more so just have conversations like this all the time. So it's really interesting that you have people, you know, in your office or virtually now, whatever it is during COVID that are experiencing this exact thing. I mean, I guess I knew, I knew it was out there. And so what kind of advice do you, do you give these women? Because it is hard when you, and let me just bring up social media, you know, you have this not unreal. You have this unrealistic version of motherhood out there. We also live in a hot mess mom culture, you know, where people glorify the mom who doesn't take care of themselves and puts themselves last. And it's very confusing. It's very conflicting. And so what, what advice do you give these moms when they're sitting with you? Uh, Well, let let me just talk about for a minute um, about my grandmother and I'll answer your question. So, so my family again is from Costa Rica and my grandmother um, had wanted to become a nun. She wanted to serve God. She wanted to serve her community. And she always wanted to be a nun. And at the age of 17, her father told her, no, you're getting married. And um, you're marrying this man that I've chosen for you, who is twice your age. So here she was 17. He was 34. So she never wanted to be married. And she never wanted to have children. She went on to have 18 children. Six of them died at various ages. So she had 12. My mom's number nine of the 12. So she grew up, my mother grew up with a very angry mom too, a very un, emotionally unavailable mom because she didn't want to be a mom. So the first thing I tell women is that, you know, kind of like you talked about that aerial view and, you know, looking down that helicopter view is, mm-hmm. is that if you understand the context, not perfectly, but it's not your fault. It's really not one person's fault, but it's what happens. You know, and so approaching it from a place of trying to approach it from a place of just being non-judgmental and not judgmental on yourself, but it's it's what we're dealing with, it's what we have in front of us. So just really approaching it with kindness and love because we have to unpack, and the unpacking part, you know, can be um, induce fear or shame, and you know, because we work very hard, um, especially this type of women is. Um, we work very hard to protect ourselves 
and we have very <laughs> thick walls, you know, that we mm-hmm. fortify ourselves with. And it's not going to come down unless we have that love and compassion before we enter in. So, um, and really having that support because I know, and one of the things I see a lot is I, a lot of times I am the female support and she leaves my office and, you know, she goes home and she jumps right back into motherhood. So really having a loving support because she didn't have that. And that's a big missing piece. Absolutely. And I feel like, gosh, it just, it breaks my heart. I feel like. And I mean, I'm in the middle of child, you know, we talked, I've got a two, four, six, eight year old, one on the way. So I'm about to have five kids under nine. And I mean, I'm really close with my mom. I'm close with my sister, but still there's just this lack of community, you know, in this culture today, like even, I mean, just with social media and like I was saying before, and I feel like it used to be like you're, you raised each other's kids, you know what I mean? Like parents were available, like, you know, all of these things. And I just feel like we don't have that today. So it's just, I don't know. It just breaks my heart because I feel like people who are going through this, who are, you know, finding themselves just really struggling to be the kind of mom, like you said, they have a desire to be a specific type of mom, which I would argue we all, we all kind of do. But mm-hmm. when you don't have that role model, when you don't have that, you know, person to look to and to, mo- you just freaking throwing stuff at the wall and hoping it sticks, you know, and that's a really lonely place to be. So yeah, I, I think what you're doing is, is amazing. You know, it's a very lonely place to be. And, you know, I start to see it really, cause I work with teenage girls also. And I had a girl in my office today and she's 18 years old and she has a father with mental illness and a mother who's, um, remarried and, emotionally unavailable. And this girl is falling apart and she wanted to go to an inpatient, you know, to admit herself, to have some kind of care, but she's terrified. You know, it's like, she doesn't want to tell her mom. She doesn't want to tell her dad, but she really needs the help, you know, because she's feeling lost and she has nowhere to turn. And it's really, really sad that she comes to me again. I'm the main contact for her, but she goes home to both these homes that are emotionally unavailable and can't be there for her. So it is, it is heartbreaking and we see it, um, you know, already beginning in the younger years. Yeah. Gosh. Uh, (laughs) So what ways specifically, like, do you help women who have experienced trauma in their own childhood to just start to heal? Like what are some, I don't know, do you have like one or two practical things that, that they can do. I know you were talking about just being, you know, aware that, you know, it's really not anybody's fault. Like you said, it's generational. A lot of times, here's the deal is that we're all doing the best we can do with what we have. (laughs) It is what it is. Then even if people suck, it's just, we all do the best that we can. But at some point, the goal is to tear that stronghold down. It's to break that change, stop the momentum, stop continuing what has been happening and just start to go the other way and do something differently. But that is easier said than done. So what are something, what's something practical that you have these women do? Do you guys have like an exercise or anything like that? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, again, I always start with attachment. So I want them to understand their attachment style because I feel like for them at first, that really makes sense. Oh my goodness. That's why I push people away or that's why I'm so clingy. So I want them to know kind of where they came from so that they're, they're aware and they're not judging it, that that's just kind of 
what happened. That's their, their style. The other thing I really, really want them to know is even though there's these different attachment styles, the one that we want is the secure attachment style. And maybe you read that in the book and, you know, Dr. Siegel's, because that's, you know, a big part of his um, research is the attachment framework is wanting to be secure. But if we didn't have a secure attachment, again, it comes back to hanging out and being around people that are more secure. So for people that are hiding or, um, or feel, you know, lack of confidence or insignificant or invisible or unseen, the first step really is just showing up. And sometimes that is really, really hard. That was really hard for me. So I, I've always been a really avid book reader, so I would read a ton of books, but I knew that the one thing I was avoiding was the thing I needed, and that was people. <laughs> I needed to be in front of people. I couldn't avoid it any longer because we're right. We're hurt in relationships and we heal in relationships. But one of the exercises I have them do is because so many of these women are very um, unaware of their needs and their wants. I remember going to a party and I didn't know a lot of these women. So just for fun, I said, if, if you could buy any car, if you you know had the money, any car, what would you buy? And everybody said what they wanted. And there was this one woman, she was like, I don't, I don't know. And it bothered her. It bothered her that she never thought about it and had no idea. And she was um, exactly this type of woman, you know, who, who really struggled um, showing up. And so by the end of the party, she said, this is what I would want. So I just give them an exercise and I have them take a piece of paper and divide it in half. And just to be aware and use all her senses. And on the left side, all the things that you just love and adore, you know, that the smells, the feelings, the touch, the people, places, things that just excite you and um, cause you just to, to relax and open up. Because we tend to, when we're uncomfortable, we get really closed off and rigid. And when we're, you know, in a receptive mood, we relax and open up. And then on the other side, what are those people, place, things, smell, all the senses that we just don't like? And then we need to co-create our life and start over because a lot of times we've been living the life of somebody else that was handed to us or expected of us. And we get to choose with adults. So part of the work, you know, if you could think of the, like a, a pyramid, like Maslow's hierarchy, Mine is the bottom is attachment. The second one is, is self-love and self-compassion. The third one is boundaries, because if we don't have boundaries, we're never going to own our life. We're never going to drive our car. Um, you know, we might be in the passenger seat or the back seat. God forbid the trunk. But, you know, we need to live our life. And then the support and then just getting all those young parts of us that haven't grown up. But we're not going to know what those parts are unless we don't pay attention, unless we pay attention. So it's that integration, the good, the bad, the ugly, um, the beautiful, um, but just being aware of who I am. What do I like? What do I want? Because a lot of moms, like you mentioned, um, it's this badge of honor of busyness and doing something for everybody else and forgetting that we absolutely matter and connected moms make better moms. The more we're connected to ourselves, the more we can um, connect to our children from a deep place and not a superficial, empty place. I uh, have a, or I did an interview once. I don't know if you know who Kendra Hennessy is, but she's she owns Mother Like a Boss, and she was talking. 
on the interview and she was like, you know, it's really funny because people always say that, you know, to mothers as far as like self-care and that kind of stuff goes that, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup. So you need to, you know, fill your cup or whatever, self-care, whatever that looks like. And she's like, it's so funny to me because it's, it's only taught to mothers that we need to fill ourselves up so that we can pour onto others. And she's like, honestly, like, we deserve to have a full cup because we are human and we just deserve the full cup, <laughs> whether or not we pour it out. Typically we do, right? Because we are, we do serve our family a ton, but like as just a person, you know, like having a full cup is okay. Spending time on your health is okay. Spending time oh, with your husband right. is okay. Right. Yes. Our birthright yeah. our fullness. Yes. Like it, it's not so that we can, it's so because we are, you know, yeah. and it's just, I think what you said was really powerful too. Along the line, you didn't say this explicitly, but um, actually, I think you did say it explicitly, but just to go back around to it, when you are making those decisions and you are calling out something so simple, like what car would you want? It is truly just like learning self-awareness because and in, in how to trust yourself again. Um, you know, I had the girl on that was talking about her mother a couple weeks ago and she, her feelings were never validated. She was sad. You're not sad. Mm-hmm. You're not sad. You're not angry. You're not, you know, all of these things. And so every feeling that she ever felt, she was always told that that's not how she felt. And so when you're told that as a child repetitively your entire childhood and none of your feelings are valid, you kind of get lost in this like, what is my reality? <laughs> like, is it how I feel or is it how people tell me how to feel? And that's a really unstable ground to be on. Very unstable ground. Yeah. One of the things my mom used to say, if I was just sitting, she would say, what do you think you are, a decoration? Oh, or who do you think you are, a millionaire? So what that meant to me is if I'm sitting and relaxing, it's not okay. Get up and start doing. And so I was very much a doer and didn't know how to just be and relax. And I brought that, I took that into my, you know, my motherhood of just do, 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 go, go, go. And again, that badge of honor and, um, you know, going back to, oh no, it is my birthright just to be. And yes, as a matter of fact, I, and I used to be a smart aleck and say, uh, yes, as a matter of fact, I am trying to be a millionaire. (laughs) I'm practicing. Yes. (laughs) Which would, um, um, you know, anger her more. (laughs) I was going to say that probably didn't sit well. (laughs) Well, and it's funny because I, 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 did it. I don't know why I keep talking about the episodes that I've done, but it's just everything you're saying is bringing up points that I've like made in the past. This was a long time ago, but um, you know, I realized one day I we had got home from church and my my boys and my husband were like sitting on the couch, you know, watching I don't know football or something, and I was cleaning like a little busy bee. Like I am the same way. I am go 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 go. And so, you know, I'm sitting here doing the dishes, and I was like annoyed. Like I'm like slamming, not slamming things, but like clearly walking back in front of them like do you not see that I am like clearly cleaning this house that's a mess and clearly doing the dishes and you know that that mood we get in Uh and I remember sitting there at my kitchen and doing the dishes being so mad that like no one is and listen my husband is incredibly helpful my kids will clean up like I mean they're kids but anyways I just had this like epiphany like Stephanie go sit down. Like who cares if we have some stuff? And I realized that, and the point of this is that I realized in that moment that my inability to rest was stealing from my family's inability to rest. 
because you know how it is. Like if you're sitting on the couch and someone's cleaning like a crazy person, it's like you can't truly rest because you're like, oh, Lord, she's clearly (laughs) like it's just unsettling when someone else is like cleaning up in front of you. You know, you feel that urge to like help. And so I'm like, man, my inability to just sit down and watch a show or whatever is taking away from my my family's ability to do that. And I, I turned off my faucet and I walked in my living room, laid down on the floor with my boys. We had a wonderful day. Who knew? <laughs> you know what I mean? But I'm like, man. I remember reading, um, it was a research on children and what they wanted most. You know, they usually say, is it quality time or, you know, quantity time with your mom? And it was like, I just want my mm-hmm. mom to be less stressed out. Oh, <laughs> That's what yeah. I want. Yep. If she can be less stressed out, I can be more uh, calm. So calm child for our children. Yeah. If we could just be yep. present and, and calm down a little bit. It's so true. They don't freaking care, you know? And I feel like we, I don't even know if it's keeping up with the Joneses. It's just, we put so much pressure on ourselves and I've, I've heard so much. It's like circling around social media right now. I don't know if you've seen it, um, but there's, it's basically a bunch of memes and they have some kind of activity that you're doing, you know, working all the time or being a people pleaser or whatever it might be. And the end like punchline is that is a trauma response. Mm. And it's like a whole bunch of different scenarios. And it ends with that is a trauma response for different reasons, you know, depending on different trauma, whatever. But I'm like, man. And so I've been really interested in just how people I'm a special ed teacher. I've worked like in a behavior unit. We are foster parents. Trauma has always been just a really interesting to me and how it affects the brain. Mm -hmm. It's just what you were saying about, you know, that 18 year old that comes into you and talks about different things or even any of your people that come in. It's like when you start to talk to a licensed professional, right? um, There's just something that happens because all of a sudden the things in your life that you do, whether it's people pleasing or you can't sit down or all these things, they start to bring to light why you do all these things you do, you know, it's so, so important. Yeah, so important. And, you know, I always tell people that, you know, you get a transformation when there's truth, right? We, part of therapy is bringing about truth, facts, but there's also tenderness. We need that tenderness because just truthing someone to death is is painful, right? They, you know, right. close up. Um, but if you just are so tender, then, you know, they might think, well, it's licensed. Well, don't worry about it. It's fine. So we need truth and tenderness over time, right? It takes time. But then when you have a tribe, then it, you know, it's exponential. It's having that group of people that says, I I get you. I've been there. Um, Let's do this together. And that's what's missing for a lot of people. It's that, you know, Truth and tenderness over time with the tribe brings about transformation where people can grow. Oh, I love and, that. Yeah, feel like they belong. Well, and I just think it's so like therapy is so important. I don't care who you are, <laughs> you know, like it is just, I feel like when I was, I was just some stuff in my childhood and whatever, like went to therapy. And I just feel like it just gives you this breath of life. And I think it's therapy is becoming less and less taboo now, um, which I think is great. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there was something else, some quote or something that I saw that's like, you know, we talk to our friends, which is good that we talk to our friends, Mm -hmm. but we talk to our friends as if they are therapists and we, we unload on them, right? All of these things. And that's fine. 
but then we don't feel better afterwards. And it's because our friends aren't therapists. There's a difference between venting and having like a proven step-by-step plan to heal trauma. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like there's just, there's just more to it than venting. Obviously there's a, there's actually so much more. And I always find it interesting when a parent brings a child, you know, or, and they're so resistant, you know, at first. And, um, I had one parent who they didn't even tell their daughter she can't, I felt so badly for her, but in the end, it's like, wow, I get someone for 50 minutes that actually will listen to me and will champion me. So, so for women who were not raised being seen and heard and feeling safe and secure, as Dr. Daniel Siegel says, it's like, this is the place to do that. And so that's why I love the work that I do. And that's why I also added coaching because I can only, you know, as a, as a therapist, I can only see people in my office and in the state of California. So being able to um, Mm. work more with people outside of the state and in, you know, different settings, but um, because a lot of women really need help and especially in this area. I believe it hundred percent. So is there an aspect of what you do that helps women forgive what has been done to them? I know you kind of talked about, again, we just circled back around this already, but you know, that their parents were, I want to say doing the best they can. Obviously, you know, there's some people that are just not good people, but like, you know, if they're dealing with a mental illness, I mean, they are kind of doing the best they can. And so is there a way that you teach women to forgive what happened, acknowledge what happened, but still move on to healing and kind of make that separation because, um, you know, there's so much of a ripple effect that stays with us regardless because, you know, we're all interconnected. So other people's behavior, decisions, parenting, like that is going to go on forever and it's going to touch our lives in some way. But forgiveness is really powerful because you kind of take back control. Right. I mean, because really, in the end, forgiveness is self-forgiveness. I mean, God forbid, if I were to pull out of my parking lot here at work and I was hit by a drunk driver and whether they got away or didn't, I'm the one that has to do physical therapy. I'm the one that has to go. That person hit me, you know, but I have to do the physical therapy. So we're we're left with doing the work. Mm -hmm. And I had, you know, grown up, like I said, I hated my mother. I just had so much disdain for her. And I knew I needed to forgive her, but I didn't know how. It's like I wanted to, but I really didn't want to, you know. And so for me, it was like timing, I think, you know. And um, I had asked, I was in a in a Bible study group and I asked them, hey, you know, I want to forgive my mom, but I don't want to forgive my mom. And can you pray for me? Because I need help, you know. Sure. And yeah. so one day I was pregnant with child number two and I get this knock at the door and it's my mother and my father, why well, I, I wasn't raised by him beating her up, but he did. He beat her up and, um, he, she woke up in the morning and said, would you like breakfast? And he just pounced her and beat her up. I forget the story, but so she shows up my door and I knew that I needed to invite her in. I knew I needed to take care of her. And because I was pregnant and my, my, I wasn't like maternity clothes size, but I was like bigger, you know, 
so mm-hmm. I could share. Where I'm at right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep, that's where I'm at. There you go. So I could share <laughs> my clothes with her. And because my baby um, was coming soon, I, I had um, prepared a bed for the one that was in the crib that I was going to transfer, but no one was using the bed yet. So I had a bed. And so my mom stayed with us for a few days and she was laying on the couch taking a nap and I could see her brow furrow and just like look stressed, like, like she was stressed and like she was moving her body, like she ached. Mm. And I had all of a sudden, I remembered things that she said. She said, I was hit for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. If I took the meal that was given to me and I walked to my father's work and it was cold and wasn't hot, I'd get beat up. And I sat there and all this came back and it replayed in my mind. And I realized that, you know, it was something that was done to her. And I just had this outpouring of compassion as I just sat there on the couch, just watching her take a nap. And you know, she had never asked me for forgiveness and she would get very angry with me. Why can't you forgive me? Why can't you forgive me? And I wanted to say, because she never asked. Mm, So I remember being 40 years old. And again, there's a knock at my door and it's my mother. And I had one of my children there and actually the one that I was pregnant with. And my mom said, could you ask her to leave? And I could sense my mom's nervousness that she wanted to talk about something. And she says to me, I went to church, I went to a retreat, and the nun said that I have to ask you for forgiveness. It must have never occurred to her before. Again, she was like a childlike mind in some cases. And so I said, okay. And so she said, why was I so mean to you? And because I had already done my work, I came from a place of forgiveness. I said, because you did what was done to you. And she Mm. says, yes, that's right. That's right. And in that moment, I felt like she had asked me for forgiveness, but I had invited her to forgive herself. Because again, it's that generational passing on. It's no one person's real fault. It's just you know, what happened throughout the ages. And so if we can approach it from that way, and again, it it took me a lot of work to get to that place and even to realize it. But if I can help women do that sooner um, and just allow the timing for her to be ready for forgiveness, um, she can free herself from the hatred and the anger and the resentment that, you know, keeps us um, chained. Yeah, and stuck and just in just huge shame and guilt cycle and you know, all of that. I mean and I and I think it's I think there's something really powerful in not giving someone necessarily like an excuse, but there mm-hmm. is a reason, you know. There's mm-hmm. it's not okay that anyone hit you. It's not okay that that's how they handled it, but you know, like there is generational trauma, there is mental illness, there's you know, genes that are turned on. It's like there are, there's so much. And, you know, like a big part of this podcast too, is we're just taking one small step in the right direction. Like 
We are not trying to revamp marriages overnight. We are not trying to revamp your finances overnight, your health. It is just 1% better every day. Like what can, you know, and it's like, that's all that we can do, you know? And I think seeking help with someone exactly like you that has, and I think that your testimony is so powerful because you are like living your testimony, right? Like you, you have experienced it. And I, and I truly believe you can't be a guide, you know, until you've been on the journey. And so the fact that you have turned around, um, and just made this, your career, your passion, your, whatever you want to necessarily call it. And now that you are turning around and kind of, you know, putting your hand out for other women who have experiences and other girls, young women, I think that's just, I feel like that's just amazing. Thank you. So where can, um, where can people get in touch with you? Where can people find you or, and as you're kind of saying that, what are, is there any last words that you might have for women who are maybe not seeking counsel or therapy or whatever? What are some last, um, what's some last advice that you would just give them if you feel like if they're maybe on that teetering edge of like, man, I really feel unsettled in my motherhood. I know that I have experienced trauma. You know, what, what are their next steps? Well, I always tell women that, you know, every woman stands on a bridge between the past and the future. Mm, I love that. And only we in the present can change the future generations. It's, it's me. It's you. It's all you women listening. It's you. And it is a sacred responsibility and it's not easy. And so you don't want to do it alone. (laughs) You definitely want support, but you know, mothers are the most important, impactful and influential woman in your child's life. You are your child's first love. You have such a beautiful place. And I just admire women, just all the things that we create, not just babies, but friendships and visions and nonprofits and businesses. And I just, you know, I love to tell women that the work you do is just so, so powerful. There's no other job on the planet that's more important. And so I just honor women. And so I just would want to say to you women to honor yourself. Are we perfect? Absolutely not. We're totally imperfect, but we're doing amazing, important, and sacred work. So um, get all the support that you need to do the best that you can and to heal the parts of you that need the love and intention. Because here's the deal, whether people in our lives intentionally or unintentionally hurt us, we don't want to co-conspire with them by mistreating ourselves. We want to turn the love and attention that we didn't get to ourselves and and have that self-compassion to heal ourselves, our children, and really to, like you said, reach out our hand to other women and to form a community because motherhood is a powerful community if we're kind to one another and we lift each other up and we support each other with love because that's really the thing that's going to change us individually and to heal our future generation is the love. Well, I think that I love the analogy about the bridge that you're just, because you're at a crossroads kind Mm -hmm. of, and Mm -hmm. you know, it is very um, nice when you have a role model 
whether it be mother, mother figure, whatever, but that is immediately close to you that you grew up with and they have forged a path or the women before them have, and you get to walk right down that path. Like that is ideal. (laughs) That is probably how it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Um, But unfortunately, as we know through this conversation and other ones we've had on this podcast, that's not always true. But the beauty in this too is that now you're in charge. Like now you get to decide, like you get to forge that path. And so I think that, I mean, what are, what is our our biggest motivator in life? I feel like are our children, you know, even if we couldn't do it for ourselves, we'll freaking turn around. If it's something's going to affect our children, it's like, okay, I will figure this out because I don't want them to have to. And and I've said a lot of times, like if, if we don't deal with our, say it, you know, addictions, our finances, our marriages, our relationships, healthy boundaries, all that stuff. If we don't do the work in this generation, who's going to have to do it? Our children. And that's not necessarily, that's not like a scare tactic. It's just, it is what it is. Like we're passing the baton at some point and we all want our children, you know, our ceiling to be our children's floor. So we, you know, we, we have to start just taking one next step, read a book, have a conversation, you know, get some therapy, like, yes, like just one step in front of the other. And listen, and, and I think we talked about this too, but you can't fix everything. You know, you can't, (laughs) if you grew up with just craziness all around you, you know, you may not have a perfect marriage. You may not have perfect finances, but you are like hell bent on having, you know, I don't know, X, Y, or Z. (laughs) And that's fine. Like just focus on that and sprint with that. So I absolutely love, um, your focus. I love that your focus is on women and daughters. Because like you were saying, I don't know if we had hit record yet, but daughter, you know, the daughters are the future mothers right. of our generations. Mm-hmm. Absolutely love that. That's right. So I just, it's a privilege when I have a teenage girl like the one today, it's because I know that um, she's not used to being mothered, you know, and not mm-hmm. that that's my role, but I can model um, kindness, love, support, empowering her, supporting her. Yes. I love that. (laughs) So where can people find you? Can you just talk a little bit about where they can connect with you, keep up with you? Or I know you said that you are now coaching, so you can cross California lines. Um, Where can people find you? You can find me at www.momconnections.com. Momconnections.com. Awesome. Simple enough. Yes. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Amelia, for coming on the podcast. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And congratulations on baby number five. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. Today is the last day of the first trimester, so I'm finally feeling better. There you go. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. Wasn't that an amazing conversation? I love having conversations with therapists. I love having conversations about attachment, about trauma, trauma's effect on the brain, um, just that whole <laughs> that whole realm. I absolutely love it. It's so interesting to me. And also, obviously, that generational change piece that she's really passionate about also, because I truly believe, I truly believe that every single woman and man, but every single mother has the power to break some kind of generational chain or stronghold and maybe not completely break, maybe like chip away at, you know, sometimes 
trauma that happens can be can be turned around in one generation, right? Like sometimes it's something that is fairly small, um, but it doesn't feel small to us, but it's something that we can pivot and we can change. And, you know, if we're motivated enough, we have the right support system, whatever it might be, then we can really start running in that um, in that other direction and we can get the momentum going in the right direction. And then our kids can kind of carry the baton from there. However, there is some trauma, right, that takes more than one generation to stop the momentum going in whatever direction it's going and to completely change. So I do believe that every single woman, every single mother c- can absolutely start taking steps in the right direction or taking steps to stop the momentum going in the wrong direction. And, you know, we just do the best that we can. So if you're not able to completely break a chain and you're not able to completely tear down some kind of stronghold that is on you and your family, it's okay. It's really just, again, it's about becoming just 1% better. It's taking one step forward. And what really drives me and motivates me, and it may or may not you, is that if I don't do the work now, then my children are going to have to do it later. And they're going to have their own work. They're going to have their own freaking work to do. And it's fine. Um, It's part of life. I am not a perfect parent. Good Lord. Um, There's so many things already. Noah, my husband and I were literally just like, I don't know, freaking out a little bit that our our oldest is nine. It's like, man, we're halfway done with him. (laughs) Like, have we done what we should? Um, You know, I feel like we've just been in this world of babies and toddlers and infants. I just told Justin the other day, I'm like, everyone in our house can communicate. <laughs> our two and a half year old starting to talk. I'm like, this is so weird. You know, I mean, granted, we're about to put a bomb back in with a new babe. But you know, it's just like we all second guess ourselves. But the truth is, we all do the best we can. And so as long as we are attempting to, you know, get that support and go in that opposite direction, stop momentum where we can. And really, you can just focus on one area. You know, you can, like I said, you can't revamp your finances and your marriage and your health and your faith and your mindset, you know, like all in one day. It's just a little bit of everything consistently over time. And the biggest part of that, you guys, is as a support group, it is a certified therapist. <laughs> You know, venting to our friends is nice and it's a way, it is a way to de-stress. We talked about that with Dr. Heather Rhodes um, back a couple episodes. It's called uh, Girl Talk with Dr. Heather Rhodes on stress and low libido. That's a really great episode. You should go check it out. But it is great to vent to people who we trust. It is different to go and talk to a therapist that can give you a plan to heal trauma. Right. So anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I hope you guys have a wonderful, wonderful week. And I look forward to walking with you to help you find your grit while completely covering you in grace.